Well, I was surprised this morning. Do you know what surprised me this morning? I turned around and there were two of my wonderful grandsons and my beautiful daughter-in-law sitting there. Give them a nice big warm first Naz welcome. Thank you very much. Now they're going to shoot me after. This is yeast. Um, anybody ever work with yeast? Well, this is kind of warm water. Let's just see what happens there today. Today I'm speaking from uh, Galatians chapter 5. Now, uh, Galatians, um, do we have? There we go. And the title I've entitled my sermon or message this morning, Freedom. Uh, so many people live in the yoke of bondage. And uh, he, Apostle Paul, was writing to the Galatian uh, Christians. Uh, and you know, Galatia is the modern Turkey. And the people that lived there were Celtic or Gaelic. Now, I'm a Celtic or a Gaelic because Scots, that's where the Scots hail from. Did you realize that? So this letter could have been written to some of my ancestors way back then. I thought that was fascinating. Well, Galatians is like a declaration of independence. Um, Galatians is a, a six-chapter letter. Not a book, but it's a letter. It's a letter to a group of churches that uh, Paul had planted in Galatia. And after he left, some other pastors came behind him who were of Jewish descent. And they came to those non-Jewish Christians and they said, It's good that you believe in Jesus, but that's not enough. But Jesus alone is not enough. You have to have Jesus plus some Jewish rules and regulations. Specifically, the act of circumcision. And so Paul writes this letter, and he's fired up. You can tell when you read it through. I've read it through maybe a dozen times in the last couple of weeks, and that man has got fire in his belly when he was writing this letter to the Galatian Christians. And he writes this letter like a battle cry for freedom. Can't you see him? Freedom! Freedom! That's what Christ brings. But you people are allowing these Jewish pastors to take that away from you and put a yoke of bondage on you or slavery. After nearly 2,000 years, we can still feel the passion that Paul had. In verse 1, it says, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Or the New American Standard says, do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. Well, this is important to me. I'm going to share some of my story with you this morning, okay? You ready to hear this? about bondage and about being free. I felt the call to ministry when I was five years old. I was first introduced to Jesus at the Jarvis Street Baptist Church in Toronto, which was across the park from where I lived. And they gave me my first Bible. 
And uh, at that same park, the Salvation Army would come and they would have a service and they would have a band there and they have one of these little organs. Um, uh, Del Rose Laxton has one of those little organs uh, that they would carry around. They were like portable keyboards then, but you uh, uh, hit a ballast on it and all that. And I, I can remember going over there because it was a church service. And, you know, often after the service was finished, they would march off with their band and they'd march down the street. Well, one time I decided to march with them. Now, I'm like about five and a half years old and I'm marching and marching and marching and marching and all of a sudden I didn't have a clue where I was. I was almost to Young Street. And then I began to panic. And I found a policeman and I told him I was lost. And you know that wonderful policeman? He accompanied me back to my home. You know, I would take my Bible that the Jarba Street Baptist Church gave me, and I, would, I, we had, I had a wooden, wooden uh, crate, like an apple crate, and that was my pulpit. And I would take it out in the backyard, and we had a pear tree, and I used to preach some fiery sermons to the birds in the pear tree. Back then, I don't know what I was talking about, but I would open my Bible, and I would begin to preach. Uh, that was the beginning of my journey. In my early years, I welcomed every opportunity I could to get to attend church meetings. I took my catechism in the United Church because the United Church and the Presbyterian Church uh, combined their Sunday schools. And so I took my catechism in the United Church, then I went to the Presbyterian Church for their worship service, and then following that, I'd go home and have lunch. And then the Nazarene Tabernacle, they had their Sunday school at 1.30. So we went to Sunday school at 1.30. And I would get out of there after Sunday school. And the Bible chapel would pick me up and take me to another service. And then at night, often, I would go to the Church of God. I was ecumenical. I was ecumenical. And I would go to the Church of God at night, and it was one of those one lively places, you know. Uh, and um, as a matter of fact, the guy that would pick me up in the car, there were so many piled into the car that I had to be in the trunk. And there'd be two other men in the trunk. That's how you could do that back then, in the old days when everything was black and white, right? And so we, I'd drive to church in the trunk of a, in the back of a trunk of a car. Well. Uh, it was, it was uh, in the summertime, there were the two-by-twos, they were called them. I think they were called Disciples of Christ or something, and they traveled two-by-two. Two. But they would have services in our schoolhouse. Well, we were the janitors of the school at that time, so I had the key to the school. So it was my, my job to open the school for the service three times a week, so I went to church three times a week. Um, I remember during this time, I learned a chorus. See, all this time, I was, I was being uh, trained, I was being fed, I was delivering an understanding of what it meant to be a Christian, and there was this wonderful chorus that they taught me, and it was like this, and I can't remember which one of those groups taught me, it might have been, I won't say, but it, was, it went like this, some folks, they jump up and down all night at the D-A-N-C-E, while others go to church to show their brand new H-A-T, and on their face, they put big dogs of P-A-I-N-T. And then they had the nerve to say they're S-A-V-E-D. It's G-L-O-R-Y to know I'm S-A-V-E-D. 
I'm H-A-P-P-Y because I'm F-R-W. You know, I think it was somebody from the South that taught that, some <laughs> kind of a revival meeting. But you know what that did to a young person, uh, maybe 9, 10, 11 years old? It was telling me that there were certain things in order for you to be a follower of Christ you did not do. Some of you would be going to hell in a handbasket if you did those things, right? You can't wear makeup. You can't go to the dance. You can't wear fancy hats and clothes that are going to make you stand out from other people. You can't do this. You can't do that. There were those self-appointed gatekeepers making sure that we walk the straight and narrow. And I remember one old saint that said while she was visiting someone over in Nova Scotia, um, she came back and she said, they had a television and I didn't watch television once. And they go, praise the Lord, oh, praise you. Wonderful, God bless you, sister, for being so strong. I was gathering rules that were being imposed on me which made serving Christ. It was a yoke of slavery. Rules that were not in the Bible. Traditions that were bondage. I began to think that I would never, ever measure up. The yoke was heavy. And the burden was not light. There was a period that I just said, you know what? I can't do this. I can't. You see, I used to enjoy going to dances. We used to sometimes go three times a week. It was a tradition in our house. I'd come home from school, and the hip parade would be on. And my mother taught us how to drive. She taught us how to round down. She taught us how to square dance without making our shoulders go like this. We had to keep it, you know. And it was a fun time. And early on in my life, I remember my dad said to me just before he died, he said, do you remember when I used to take you to the matinees? I said, yeah, Dad, I remember that. It was one of my fondest memories because when I was a little boy, five, six years old, that's the only time I ever remember doing anything really specifically and special with my dad. And I said, Dad, how come you stopped taking me to the matinees? He said, the church told me to stop. They put a yoke of bondage on us. So that period, I just thought, you know what? I can't do this anymore. I enjoyed going to dances, but I knew that I would have to stop. And when I did finally come to that place in my life where I said, okay, the dances are not more important to me than Jesus, I made a commitment to him, and one of my friends said to me when they found out that I'd become a born-again Christian, the first thing this friend said to me, but you're such a good dancer, you won't be able to dance anymore. They'd be kind of surprised at these kids up here uh, for us, right? Being saved was synonymous with boredom. No shows, no TV. No dancing, no playing cards unless it had a, a rick, rook bird, bird on it. You see, I was given the impression 
that my salvation was all up to me. And I didn't think I was good enough. And I didn't think I was strong enough to be able to meet up to all the expectations. My understanding of grace and freedom was all wrapped up in a package of legalism and rules delivered to me by well-intentioned people. Rules that were not in the Bible. Some people's reaction was, you know what? I'm out. The yoke doesn't fit, and I'm tired of trying. I'm tired of doing what you're trying to do to me. But the truth is this, when you throw off that yoke, there's always another to replace it. You've got to serve somebody, people. The yoke reminds us that we don't have a choice. We will serve somebody. It might be myself. It might be the devil. Or it might be Jesus, but I will serve somebody. You will serve somebody. You see, a yoke is made for two oxen. I remember my first pastorate, one of my parishioners, his brother, had yoke or two oxen it's the first time i'd ever seen them they have horns this long on them and he used them in plowing competitions and there was always a seasoned ox that would train a young ox there was always that leading ox there's always me on one side and there will always be someone on the other side you don't have a choice whether you will wear a yoke, but you have a choice who will wear the yoke with you. So choose your yoke carefully. For some people, the law, the yoke of the law feels right to them. They think if I put the law on on one side, we pull together and the law will make me look good. But it never does. The only thing the law can do is condemn. What we find is when we get yoked with the law, the law pulls us in the opposite direction. So I want to kind of eavesdrop in on Paul here in this conversation. Paul is having with the church in Galatians and uh, in, in Galatia, and he says this: "Mark my words." I, Paul, tell you, if you let yourself be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obliged to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified by the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. Those are pretty strong words. Paul seems very fired up because he knows the devastation that the yoke of the law brings to a person. And some of you perhaps know it well. You know what it's like to have the finger wagging in your face. I remember I was taking a girl to the fireman's ball and I had to go to her home to, to pick her up and when I got there, her grandmother was living with her and I went, uh-oh. And she looked at me and she said, I'm shocked. I'm surprised and I'm disappointed. I can't believe you're going to that ball. 
all of a sudden I felt shame and guilty because of the wagging finger. I wasn't measuring up. Any of you ever been there? Have you ever felt like you've never measured up because of someone else's standard in their lives? Why is it that the law seems so intoxicating to so many religious people? It's because they think it's going to make them better. We're talking here about the law, but why is Paul talking and bringing up circumcision? Well, you see, circumcision marked a man. It was their entrance into the law, the portal you pass through to become a Jew. And you know, the Romans and the Greeks and the Syrians, they thought that was the dumbest thing in the world. You know, the, the Greeks, you know, they worship their bodies. And some parts they worship more than others. And if they went to the rabbi and said, I really like this philosophy, this Jewish philosophy, this message you have, and what do I do? What do I have to do to become? And they say, you have to be circumcised. And he goes, are you kidding me? Circumcised? Why? That, that's crazy. Back in that days, you know, when Jews were being circumcised, every one of them around thought it was dumb. Atheists would say, well, that was a man's idea, it wasn't God's. <laughs> I can't imagine a bunch of guys sitting around the fireplace saying, okay, let's get circumcised. <laughs> it ain't going to happen. Who thought it up? God. God told Abraham 4,000 years ago, and they perhaps didn't understand back then maybe the the, uh, maybe the health issues that they were dealing with back then. All they knew is that they were willing to do what others would not do for the glory of God. And when people take pride in their behavior, they take pride in what they do, not what, or what they don't do, rather than what they do. You ever had people brag about how disciplined they are in their lives? I've never done this, and I've never done that, and I never did this, and I'll never do that, and I don't hang with people who do. Look how wonderful I am. Pride. Paul says to the Galatians, you are running a good race. Who cut in on you to keep you from obeying the truth? And the truth was that Jesus is the source of salvation, not circumcision, not religious rules. It's your faith in Christ. The kind persuasion does not come from the one who calls you. I put some yeast in this water this morning. You see what's happening to it? I just put a little bit of yeast in there. Smells like a brewery up here. <laughs> and you say, how do you know what a brewery smells? <laughs> but that little bit of yeast that I put in that water this morning, look how it works. And sometimes it's just those little things, those little 
messages, sometimes they're subliminal messages that come to you that cause you to start questioning your salvation and what God has done for you through Jesus Christ on the cross. It says if he who confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse you from all unrighteousness. See, that's a promise from God. It's my obedience and my acceptance. And when other people mock them for what they did, the Jewish people, for circumcision, they became prideful of it and say, we're doing, you know. And then they wanted to impose that on everybody else. And that's what Paul is dealing with this morning. If we add anything to the grace of God, we're like this yeast. We're disrupting the race, the good race. And you know, there's always false teachers in the midst. They'll be there, there's some, there's red flags. They tell you things in private that you wouldn't hear publicly from the pulpit and give you rules and standards, or they, they intend to you, they want you to depend on them more than Jesus. Listen to me, depend on me, teach me. I will teach you. Or if they leave you feeling less secure about your salvation, don't fall for it. God is the source of your hope through Jesus. In verse 12, it seems like Paul has taken the gloves off, and he says... As for those agitators, I wish they would go all the way, the whole way, and emasculate themselves. Don't just snip, chop. The message puts it this way. Why don't these agitators, obsessive as they are about circumcision, go all the way and castrate themselves? You think Paul was disgusted? With what was going on and challenged, he certainly was. He was addressing it forcefully. Somebody trying to put a yoke by putting, putting a yoke on you with rules that don't follow the scriptures, you walk away. You throw off that yoke of slavery. But you know what? A lot of times we throw off the yoke of slavery and we put on a yoke of license you decide, you know, I don't want that anymore. I'm going to do what I want, when I want, where I want. And nobody can tell me what to do. And only then you find out it's worse than the prison of the law and legalism and rigid rules. He says, the yoke of license, so I say, walk by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. And then he talks about what the areas of the flesh include. He says, the acts of the flesh are obvious. And we see this in our society today. Sexual immorality, impurity, 
and debauchery, idolatry and witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like that will not inherit the kingdom of God. You see, the freedom that he is talking about is not a license to do what you want. The freedom is to enjoy the peace and the love that God has for each one of us and the purpose. Because God does divinely call us, and you've heard me say this more than once, he uniquely gifts us and he strategically places us so that his purpose can be fulfilled in your life. Jesus said, take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Christ, when you're yoked together with him, he's pulling with you, not against you. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, it says. But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love, for the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he goes on to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. It's not fruits of the Spirit, but fruit, a fruit with nine ramifications. Against such things there is no law. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with his passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let's, let's keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. This concludes Paul's declaration of independence, but it begins ours. Notice it's the fruit of the Spirit. All Christians are obligated to display all nine. Let's look at them for a moment. In your bulletins this morning, I made up this little uh, flyer or insert if you've got one. And if you look at it, the first three characteristics are what you receive from God. God gives you love. He gives you joy, that sense of well-being, and he gives you peace. Because Jesus is the Prince of Peace. He is the joy of the Lord is our strength, and, and for God so loved the world that he gave. And when we accept Jesus Christ, this is what we receive. We receive the love from God, the joy, the sense of well-being, and peace. And then for others, he says, when we have this love, joy, and peace, we must show patience, gentle goodness, and kindness to others. You know, it's very, very difficult. The, the, the other, another word, or the word that patience means, it means suffering long or long-suffering. And you know, some people have been suffering for a long time. 
And some people have been long-suffering for a long time, right? Sometimes we bring things into our relationships, our marriage, and you have to deal with it, and you need patience, you need to be long-suffering to work it through, and you do it through the love of God and the joy and the peace that God gives to help us to deal with that. And goodness, showing goodness to others is part of the fruit of the Spirit, and kindness Trying to leave people better off than you found them. It involves kindness. It involves goodness. And it involves patience as well. And then when you do that, you will experience for yourself gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. You can start offering to others The love, the joy, and the peace to those around you. That doesn't start with God. The patience, the goodness, and the kindness. That starts with you. You can offer patience and goodness and kindness. And if, if you want to adopt all nine, you have to master patience. How many people have ever prayed and asked God for patience? Yeah. Yeah. And it will be tried, but you need, that's one thing we all need to have is patience. Look at people through the eyes of Jesus and they look differently. Because you look at them with compassion and mercy and try to understand. And so therefore, you can share goodness and kindness. Gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control becomes a part of who you are. Once you share with others, then you begin seeing this in yourself. So where do we start? Start with one fruit, okay? One friend and one fruit this week. This is your challenge. You can pick one of the ones, whatever it is. Can we put the other one back up there, please? The other slide, or you've got them in your hand, so okay. You pick one of these and you say, I'm going to share this with one person. You're going to ask God. And maybe you say, well, I don't know what I need to share. Maybe you could ask them, out of this list of fruits, what do you think I need to work with you on? Do I need to be more patient? What do I need for others? Do I need to be more patient? Uh, could I show more goodness or kindness to that person this week? Pick one of them. But pick someone and try to demonstrate that. Be very, very purposeful in doing that this week with someone. Will you accept that challenge for me? Look this over, keep it, look it over, maybe even put it on your fridge to remind you, God loves me. He's my source of joy and my peace. And I need to really exercise and put, be more patient, show more goodness and kindness to others. And then I'll begin to experience, this will define me. Let us pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you for the opportunity and the privilege of gathering together this morning. I pray that you would take these stammering words and interpret them to our hearts. Challenge us afresh. Help us, Lord, to be guarded against any yoke of slavery 
or license. Help us, Lord, not to take freedoms beyond what the grace of God has given us. And may our lives reflect and put into practice the fruit of the Spirit. Father, we have been gathered together as the congregated church this morning. Now we're going to go out into our world as a dispersed church. May we reflect your love in all that we do. Place it upon our hearts, those that you want us to express fruit of the Spirit to this week. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. God bless you and have a wonderful week.